1: Amnesty International describes itself as a group that defends human rights around the world. And we need groups like that. And in fairness, Amnesty International has done some good and important work. Unfortunately, at times, I think they've embarrassed themselves and hurt the overall cause of human rights around the world. February 24th, on the eve of Russia's invasion of Ukraine, uh, Amnesty International tweeted, Protect civilians in Ukraine. And they repeated that phrase over and over again. And certainly, I think that's what Ukrainian forces uh, have sought to do. And we've seen examples where Russia has targeted civilian areas and civilians directly in Ukraine. Amnesty International, to its discredit, has engaged in some pretty shameful victim blaming. They released a report earlier this month faulting Ukrainian forces, accusing them of endangering civilians. When it is Russia that has been targeting civilians in civilian areas, which may explain why Ukrainian forces are launching attacks from within those areas, and the very civilians they're trying to defend. So th- this report has been roundly condemned uh, globally by politicians, political leaders, uh, other organizations as well, academics, lawyers, uh, etc. But why does it matter? Why does it matter that a group like Amnesty International can miss the mark so badly here, or that they may be inadvertently uh, parroting some some Russia propaganda? There was an interesting uh, op-ed uh, the other day in the National Post, co-authored by our next guest, uh, that says it is Amnesty International and Russia, not Ukraine, that are putting civilian lives. At risk. Joining us to talk more about this important issue, very pleased to welcome to the program here this morning, Shuvalo Majumder, among senior fellow and director of the Foreign Policy and National Security Program at the McDonald Laurier Institute, McDonald Laurier Doncige. Shuvalo, good to have you with us here today. Welcome to the program.
0: Good morning. Thanks for having me,
1: Rob. Let's talk about why it matters. Why it's not enough to just say, "Ah, Amnesty International, what a joke, what an embarrassment. We should disregard their work." Because I think it still matters what they put out, doesn't it?
0: You know, it may have 30 years ago when they had a pure sense of mission and a pedigree that was becoming of an international human rights organization. You know, I used to be a a big supporter of Amnesty for its work, uh, particularly when it became about the persecution of minorities in China 30 years ago. But they seem to have become deeply ideological, morally ambivalent when it comes to the defining issues of our age. I think most recently expressed through this, sham of a report with respect to victim blaming, if you so correctly placed it, uh, the Ukrainians for defending civilians, when in turn they've produced a report that provides fodder for Russia's um, unjustified war in Ukraine.
1: Right, and I think that's, that's the unfortunate takeaway from all of this. Let's talk specifically about the issues that are raised here, because yes, obviously there is an international law, as you note in your piece, that, that pertains to all of this. And no, forces should not be hiding behind civilians or hiding in civilian areas that, in a way that could put civilians at risk. But how do we look at uh, that international law in the context of what's happening on the ground in Ukraine?
0: So this this international humanitarian law, colloquially understood as the laws of war, have emerged over the last 20, 30 years as the basis for what... Uh, you know, democratic forces, what all states should be uh, subscribing to in terms of their conduct in the use of force. Now, Russia has been, as you noted, indiscriminately bombing Ukrainian civilian sites. They have been uh, irresponsibly attacking uh, nuclear sites. They have created filtration camps where they conduct vast amounts of torture, intimidation, and interrogation. They're waging a war outside the norm of all battlefield uh, tactic. Now, when a hospital or a school is vacated because of Russia's invasion, it is incumbent on uh, the Ukrainian armed forces, any military you would expect, to go into those venues to defend civilians. Uh, What what the Amnesty International Report had tried to allege in a weekly researched product was that somehow this use of vacated sites constitutes a Ukrainian breach on these laws of war uh, and it is just such a bizarre uh, it's such a bizarre allegation that Amnesty's own head of Ukraine resigned Amnesty's founding right. vice president resigned simply because the content of this report was just so um, sloppily assembled and presented to the international community as uh, a basis for how Ukraine should be um, held accountable for the defense of their own civilians
1: Right, and one weird aspect to all of this, as you note in your piece, that Ukrainian officials didn't even really get a chance to provide information or explanations to, to Amnesty before they, they put up this report.
0: They had four businesses before the report was jammed out the door, which, you know, it seems a bit unreasonable given the, the, the allegations at stake. Um, and, you know, it, it begs the question about whether Amnesty itself was pursuing its own international agenda uh, of equivalence, whether it has been co-opted perhaps by one side of this effort rather than uh, be governed by an actual analysis of the laws of war and what constitutes um, good practice versus terrible practice. And so, yeah, it's, it's unfathomable that they would put their letterhead on this and push it out the door. They've completely compromised the integrity of an institution, and it's not the first instance they've done this. They've done this in other conflicts, particularly with the Democratic State of Israel protecting itself from uh, Islamic Islamist militants uh, from uh, Palestinian territories. So it's it's been an unfurling of an institution that, as you noted at the top of this discussion, uh, you know had a, had a very seminal place in the world when it came to cataloging and articulating human rights abuses and the way in which policymakers could faith and careful
1: decisions often. Right. It's been interesting to see. And I mean, you see some some bizarre overlap, I think, between the far right and the far left when it comes to the situation, kind of going out of the way to, you know, try to defend Russia or blame Ukraine or blame the West. You know, we we see it, you know, from some uh, ostensible anti-war groups. And and I've been flabbergasted to see, oh, there's some anti-war protests happening. And... They're protesting the West or they're protesting Ukraine's government. They're not protesting the actual invaders. So, it may, you know, I think that speaks to some weird worldview that, that somehow the West is, is to blame and that if anyone's standing up to the West, that even, you know, a country like Russia, that somehow that's a good thing in their minds. I don't know. Does this begin to explain maybe where Amnesty International has gone off the rails?
0: You know, it's hard to to, to assess the psychology of leaders of Amnesty International, but I would say... You know, I've spent four and a half years in war environments in Iraq and Afghanistan, um, many of which were mismanaged. I would say that it's very difficult to find a pro-war constituency anywhere in the world. It is reluctantly that we go to war, is what I'd like to think of our societies, or at least commit our women and men to battle um, on behalf of our values and our interests. So it's not not a, a frivolous recommendation that is made when it is, a decision to go to war, in the context of Ukraine, you know, a lot of history of this doesn't start at the beginning; it starts at the middle, and it skews, um, you know, the origin of this idea of that Russia is exploring, imperial expansion that Russia is exploring in Ukraine, based on a falsehood. It betrays Russian agreements to Ukrainian sovereignty. It betrays Russian commitments to the international community when it comes to their membership at the UN and other organizations that are in endemic crisis. Um, we're talking right now of a political spectrum in Canada that is, and maybe even much of the Western world, that is, we're on the extremes Russian propagandists agitate for the purposes of creating discord. Um, and uh, to your point, it's correct. It's both on the left and on the right. And the, the best way to combat it is by, uh, I think, respectfully describing the facts of history on what was the genesis of this conflict and why it must be, um, why Ukraine must be successful in repelling Russian invasion.
1: Much more, is mentioned, McDonnell-Laurier.ca. Shivaloy, thank you so much for joining us here today. We really appreciate this.
0: Pleasure, Rob. Have All a good day.
1: You as well. Shivaloy Majumdar, Monk Senior Fellow of McDonnell-Laurier Institute, Director of their Foreign Policy and National Security Program.